to the break. We are on episode 15, if you can believe it. My name is Megan Engels, aka the HBIC. And if you guys aren't familiar with that acronym, it is Head Bitch in Charge. And I'm taking that back as of this episode. So we're going to get into the winners and losers of this past week. And I'm not talking about Phil and Justin. You guys can figure out who's who in that. My God. If, 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 you, if you're putting here, that right? title on yourself, you better actually be bringing it. Because I am going to hold you to that. And that, like, man, you're you're coming out swinging early in this right? one. Is it is it because you sense that the, the Cavs have broken me and that's why you think that there's this yeah, little opening you for you? I'm trying to hit you while you're down. Okay, okay. So you're you're going the Isaiah <laughs> Thomas route of uh, thinking that you're you're entitled to something already with without proving yourself. Okay, I, I I see you. I see you. That's fine. I think hey, she's just being nice okay about it because she, because she realized I'm actually sick as a dog right now, so she's pulling it, uh, Cavs versus Kevin Love on me right now and trying to oust me from the whole thing. I know. I'm gonna give Phil a break. I can try and give him a break because you know he's not feeling well. So. And yeah, Justin, okay. you can take when, it. When have you ever take, given me a break for any of this garbage? Justin, there's no <laughs> way I could be meaner than you, meaner to you now than people are to you on Twitter. There's Sounds no way. like a challenge. It is a challenge, yeah. Yeah, but but unlike Twitter, I've done absolutely nothing to deserve it for me right now. That's for you guys to decide. Uh, we'll come back in a second. I'm going to give you guys a little bit to recover from that sick burn. You're just coming after me. It's, it's hurtful. Welcome back. And speaking of a team or people who got their feelings hurt, the Celtics' feelings were pretty hurt the other day after the Raps handed them a pretty big L. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny to see how the reactions were to that. I, I was listening to Locked On uh, Celtics and just seeing some of the reactions on Twitter. And <laughs> you you had people saying, oh, it's just a regular season loss. Uh, the Celtics didn't come out with energy. The Raptors were a bunch of tryhards, which is so ironic and perfect coming from Boston fans who that has been the tryhard franchise and they have been making mountains out of a regular season molehill basically for their entire existence. Um, I, I think that that was a, just a perfect game from the Raptors. Uh, you saw the depth and the youth that they have on that team uh, really on display. And they showed that being top five in offense and defense is better than being the best defense and the 20th best offense. Uh, the balance of the Raptors was on display. Sure, there wasn't Marcus Smart and Greg Monroe is still on his way, but it's not like Monroe's going to help their defense out. So I, I think it was a statement game from the Raptors, and they showed that they're the best team currently in the East. Absolutely. I especially agree with that. At this point in the season, when you look at them in the standings, how close they are, they're neck to neck. Obviously, they're both, you know, contending playoff teams. Uh, it's not just a regular win. I think this is a huge deal, especially when you look at how close their records are. They were two games back, two games behind. Now they're just one game back. Right, right. And, and they're tied in the loss column, too, which is the important thing. Boston's just played more games because of that early London schedule. 
But when things mm-hmm. even out, when you look at how good Toronto's been and some of the regression Boston's had, I would expect them to to take that first seed, and, unless they collapse like they have in the past. Okay, so uh, yeah. that's the entire time uh, you guys were talking about mountains into molehills and reverse. I was literally just thinking of this tiny little version of Isaiah Thomas the last couple of years in Cleveland, like pouring water on him. He's kind of growing like this chia pet. It's like, we have a real basketball player, and they, sh- and they ship him <laughs> off after that. And, and now the Cleveland Cavaliers have to deal with him. But I digress. Valuable I digress. Contribution, valuable contribution. <laughs> I, I, that... I was actually going to say, Phil, it would be a good point for you to chime in because obviously I'm a little bit of a <laughs> Raptors lover. So if you say something positive, then that sort of supports my real. Yeah, where, where's the skepticism? Uh, opinions I, and that you, well, just, you, you pass up. You passed up on that opportunity just to try to make me feel a little bit worse about Isaiah Thomas, who probably won't even be on the team by the time this recording gets released. Well, I hope that's the case. But when we go back to that game, when we look at the starting minutes of a lot of these guys, most of these players weren't playing big, big minutes. But I I think it's just a reality this year that Boston is just really young. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, like, like if Gordon Hayward was still there, I think we'd be seeing a totally different game. But we're starting Aaron Baines for as well as he's playing, uh, you know, Tatum and all the rest. These, guys, these are kids. And this is playing against a team of veterans. And listen, I, I hate when people call me a Toronto Raptors fan just because I'm Canadian. But they probably have the best bench in the game. And I don't even think it's that close. No, like, no, it's not. It's not close at all. When I'm watching the Toronto Raptors play and I feel they're playing their best basketball, their starting front court is off the floor. We're seeing a front court of Potal, Siakam, maybe Miles. Uh, Ananobi plays pretty well, but I'm telling you, I just like these guys are like interchangeable parts. It reminds me a lot of the 2000 2001 uh, Sacramento Kings when they had that kind of bench squad with like Scott Pollard and um, Bobby Jackson, was it, coming yep. off the bench? And they would just come in and just let the entire starting roster just chill out and and get their and get their stuff together. And I think that's what this team has and I think that's going to be their strength cuz I've been criticizing them forever that listen, I don't think DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are going are ever going to be the best player in a series that they are going to play in the playoffs. I I've criticized their quote-unquote best players forever. Yeah. But that doesn't have to be the case in in this shambles of the East like as you said, with Gordon Hayward in the lineup, it would be a totally different story. Like that's that's a level of star power that they can't necessarily contend with. But th- this is a totally different team, and I think one of the most important things that we saw was that Toronto against an elite defense, Lowry and DeRose didn't beat themselves because that has been the case in the past. They revert to isolation basketball when things aren't coming easily. And because they were playing the team game and they stuck with it, you saw that they had a better impact. Uh, It was a balanced team effort. And as you said, they weren't trying to do too much. And that hasn't been the case in the past. And that was a big part of why they fell short in the playoffs. So I I know people wonder, are we going to do this again with Toronto? And, And are they just going to fall apart in the playoffs? But the signs are there. This isn't just, this feels different. There are legitimate reasons you can point to on why things won't be the same. For sure. And I love the fact that we're going to leave on a Raptors high note right now. That makes me really happy. So we'll be back in a second to talk about Forbes and the NBA. But I I digress. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, So if you haven't seen today, Forbes just released uh, a new report saying that the NBA teams are now officially, each team 
actually reached the $1 billion threshold. And I think that is a super, super exciting thing for the NBA. And the reason I really want to talk about this is because over the past year, all you hear about people is talking about the NFL and how it's going downhill because of their political ideas and how they're handling things. And I think this is just a prime example of how the NBA is the exact opposite to me in almost every way as the NFL. And it's proven the exact yeah, opposite. Yeah, th- that narrative is one of the stupidest things I've heard. And like, that's such a right wing narrative that, oh, it's the players kneeling that um, is the reason why the ratings are down and things like that. That, like, there's nobody that thinks that, oh, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's the fact that the league is boycotting Colin Kaepernick that is getting people turned off of it. Maybe it's the understanding uh, that these guys are basically doing human cockfighting and they're scrambling their brains. Like, it, it has to be, oh, it's it's the uh, the left-wing agenda of the NFL. Like, it, it's just so stupid to me. And, and the growth of basketball as a global game um, obviously has a big, big impact on that. Um, that's that's what's helped this these evaluations, uh, the way that the league is marketing itself, whether it be the, the London game or just all the initiatives that they have overseas. That's really lending to the increased popularity of, of the sport, and that the every franchise going over a billion dollars like that that is a, a truly remarkable achievement. Although that might not last long, if LeBron leaves Cleveland, um, you might be able to buy that team for the price of a double double. <laughs> Such a Canadian context. Although again, I'll agree with you there in a way because it's apples to oranges, right? In the NFL, there's this huge problem that people like the elephant in the room that people never want to talk about is all these guys that go home and commit these horrendous acts towards their family themselves they're playing these high impact positions being linebackers running backs linemen and you just don't get that in the nba i mean look you get injuries both ways for sure and there's been some brutal injuries we just saw the chris Stapp's knee injury uh that um uh, we spoke about gordon hayward before obviously he had the brutal injury but it's not the same thing and it doesn't have the repercussions yeah. and and let's be honest if there is some racism coming uh, from ownership outside of the... And that's a big heavy if because... Outside of Donald you know. Sterling a couple of years ago, it's not making the light of day the way it is in the NFL. I mean, just the yeah. fact of A... The NBA, we bury our racism. <laughs> deep in the ground. Or, or under the parquet if we're going to keep uh, the Celtics reference. But... but yeah. Problematic, problematic, but <laughs> we yeah. should probably keep it moving here. <laughs> I mean, I would say the biggest point of this for me is just the fact uh, of the NBA if you want to simplify it, I would say the NFL's predominant audience is mostly a white audience where the NBA, you can argue, is mostly um, a black audience or at least is a little bit more of a mix. Especially, like you said, it's blown up huge in Asia as well. And I think that's the biggest part of the NFL's downfall is they're looking and they're they're closing off their audience where the NBA is embracing their worldwide uh, popularity and they're looking at what the world is interested in. They're not trying to be closed-minded. They're not starting their games heavily weighing on the anthem and the military. And I think especially on a global scale, that's a really important thing to keep pulling people in and making it just a more inclusive game and a funner game to watch for me. I I think there's a simpler answer here too. and, And that's just simply how the league markets itself. Like, as we move on and, and we evolve uh, and in terms of social media and all that stuff, we love sound bites. We love these little clips. We love all of that stuff. And the NBA markets to those personalities. We know all the players, even someone like Kelly Oubre in Washington. 
he might be their seventh best player, and he's someone that we're, we're aware of his fashion choices, what he's wearing to games, comments, and stuff like that. The NFL is basically uh, all these nameless players that are just swapped in and out of the lineup. You have a bunch of people that get hurt. You have like five, six players that are injured for the season every game almost, and we don't even know who they are outside of the quarterbacks um, and those people that we actually get to see in interviews. Um, you, you just don't know the league's personalities and, and the way that those personalities are managed by the public relations teams. Um, like They don't get the chance to really speak out and, and show who they are, whereas the NBA fully embraces that. The insanity and the off-court stuff has kept this season interesting. Like Everybody knows that the Warriors are probably winning again this year, and that doesn't change that this has been one of the more entertaining seasons in the league because oh, you have absolutely. so much drama. You have so many different things that you can focus on and that entertain you from a night-to-night basis. And that simply isn't the case with football. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at this for sure. I think uh, you could talk about it for a long time. So to avoid that, uh, let's take a break right now. <laughs> oh, I don't want to get too complicated, you know. Keep it simple. Uh, so let's take a break and no, I'll... No big words. No big words and no, no complicated <laughs> thoughts. That's the way I roll. Well, yeah, exactly. So we'll be back in a minute. All right. So as much as I absolutely do not want to talk about the Cavs, we are not Thank talking you. about the Cavs. As Justin already tried to sneak them in there. Justin, I heard you earlier. I know what you tried to do. Uh, but I want to talk about the topic of them and the way that they said their team's falling apart in adversity. And then you have the, on the other side, OKC, you've got Westbrook saying that he loves adversity. So I just wanted to talk about uh, how the teams really come out of facing tough losses and what teams are actually doing it well. Um, well yeah, I, I, I don't know if necessarily... doing it poorly than well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's not... You don't have a lot of examples of teams handling adversity well right now. Um, I, I don't think it was the Cavs saying that they were falling apart. That was Isaiah Thomas saying that, which it, it was pretty and funny to me. Who that watches the Cavs game. Yeah, true, true, true. They're 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 not exactly the uh, the easiest watch in the league right now. Um, I did enjoy Isaiah saying that. The, the Whoa, big dig from Justin oh. to the Cavs. Not I. I <laughs> So that's his harsh criticism. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a realist. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Isaiah saying that it's on our coaching staff. They don't adjust well. And then Tyron Lue before this game against the Wolves tonight, uh, which we are recording this on Wednesday night, Lue was saying that's not true. Um, so I, I think Isaiah isn't, isn't someone that's going to be in that locker room for much longer. Um, but I, I, when I think about handling adversity, you have to think of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they really started off the year on a rough note. Uh, they had a tough time uh, adjusting to those roles. You had Carmelo Anthony and Paul George that were really used to being the number one option and, and the only option for so much of their careers um, that it, it was tough for them. They were playing that your turn, my turn that we saw even with the Miami Heat uh, in their first year together. Um, but I, I think that the way that they've adjusted and the way that that your turn, my turn has kind of developed some trust within the team. Uh, it's interesting to me because now you got Russell Westbrook, who's kind of taken over that number one option again. But because they went through the, those stretches where they were trying to figure things out and and each of them was trying to get their groove, it's earned trust with one another. And you see Paul George making this great impact on the defensive end, Carmelo Anthony really picking his spots and playing team basketball. 
um, and, and it's paid off for them. They they are now two and zero against the Warriors. They've beat almost every top team in the league now at this point. Um, they they're a real big surprise for me. I don't know how sustainable it is in the playoffs, but the way that they've bounced back from their early season struggles, I think that's one of the best examples we currently have of a team overcoming some adversity this season. For sure. And I mean, the reason it, sorry, Phil, uh, the reason it sparked my interest is because I just think this is a super big part of the playoffs where if you go from one game to another really quickly and you sort of have to bounce back, especially if you've had a really bad loss the one game, you're playing that same next team in a couple of days. So how, who, like what teams do we think are going to handle this sort of best? But that's chemistry, in the right? playoffs. Like we we're just talking about Isaiah Thomas in the locker room and then we we're talking about other teams that have come together and built that. Yeah. I mean, you know, facing adversity, every top team is going to do this, right? It doesn't matter if you're, you know, the Toronto Raptors, the Golden State Warriors, whoever you are. And then you have some teams that handle it a little bit worse. And then, you know, is is that a leadership issue with the players? Is that a coaching issue? You know, like, are we blaming Tyron Lue as much as we're blaming Isaiah Thomas? Or are we giving for uh, the, the uh, OKC Thunder? Are we giving Billy Donovan as much credit as we're giving Russell Westbrook? I mean, at the end of the day, there has to be that that collusion between them, right? I mean, for uh, San Antonio, this has always been their calling card. For years and years in the playoffs, doesn't matter if they're down, doesn't matter if they're up. They're just that uh, the little truck that could, right? They just play the course and they go, go, go. And, and that's a system, a chemistry, and a coach thing. So I think it's interesting because whenever you're creating these super teams as the NBA is, you always risk chemistry. Because if it's back in the day where you have one, two stars, everyone else tends to fall in line, right? Because you generally know the pecking order. But when you have teams that have two, three, four stars, A, like Justin said, these guys aren't used to playing with each other, but B, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work. These guys, like, egos matter. Like, uh... Uh, the way people uh, the way people deal with egos um, affects most of their lives, and and these guys are no different. They're human beings. So at the same, I, I think. Sorry to cut you off, but I think the the common thread in the situations that you pointed out that work is organizational stability. You, it's not just about putting talent together. Where you see these super teams actually work is when you have a front office that empowers the coach, that holds the players accountable. And I, I mean, not to bring up Cleveland, but it's the exact opposite there, where Dan Gilbert has <laughs> cut off communication um, and everything has fallen apart because they don't have stability. Whereas the Spurs or um, the Warriors, uh, the Miami they, Heat, right? Exactly. It's a harmonious situation. You have that uh, that strong front office, and you have people in positions of power that are empowered by the organization. So as much as we like to think that this is a, a, a game of 2K and it's simply acquiring talent or that there's some formula, um, having stability, having continuity, it, it's so important. Bringing it back to the, the Raptors. The Raptors, they made subtle changes. They kept Dwayne Casey, even though there were people that had questioned him at times, um, having a consistent voice in that and locker they room. having really well. They drafted really well and they utilized the G League to develop young talent because they were a good team and they didn't have playing time for those young guys. So now those guys are stepping up this season and are replacing expensive um, veterans that they had that could be replaced for cheap. Patrick Patterson, PJ Tucker, all those guys were replaced internally. Yeah, and for sure. and I, I, I think that's the strength of the organization and I think 
that's the way of the future w- with teams. Yeah. Uh, also, I couldn't help but notice, Justin, you're like, not to bring up the Cavs, but I think that should actually be your new Twitter bio. So I'm going to let you update that because <laughs> it's perfect. So I'm going to let you update that and we'll be right back in that. a second. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. We talked Raptors, we talked Celtics. Justin obviously snuck in a little bit of Cavs there because he can't help but do it. Uh, We also talked Ford's NBA versus really the NFL, and we saw who can recover or if he really can recover after losing streaks or how to do it well and what teams are finding their stride. So thank you guys for joining me again. Remember, wherever you guys listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes or wherever, make sure to search Press Basketball and look up the break, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing.